Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think fundamentally, if you split the packages, maybe there's a little more transparency and honesty in this thing. Cordero, at the very least, from what I understand from multiple sources, was seriously considering pushing that that potential, which uh, obviously was not something uh, MLS and Soccer United Marketing were going to tolerate conversation about. So uh, Cordero's gone. Uh, they've got Wilson as the C- CEO, and I-, I don't think that there's any threat of that happening now, right? Now I think they're safe. Welcome back. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 168. Coming up on this week's show, news about a soccer streaming service that has bit the dust. US soccer gets a bailout from the government despite huge cash surplus. Premier League goes all in on FIFA 20 tournaments. Our thoughts on Major League Soccer's EMLS debut. And we've got news about uh, being sports threatening the Premier League. We'll tell you why. Plus, we have letters uh, from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, alongside Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's been six weeks. Six weeks ago, I remember speaking to my wife, saying, like, hey, I'm not, so, I'm not sure if I should be going down to South Florida this weekend to go to Inter-Miami's uh, first home game, uh, the first MLS game in South Florida in 19 years that I've been waiting. Um, and really then we started to really understand and get hit by the coronavirus in terms of uh, the threat of it in the United States and seeing what was happening in Italy. It's hard to believe, Kartik, it's been six weeks Really, without soccer, you know what you've been up to uh, to to stay safe and healthy and sane uh, this past week. Yeah, I mean, I think I've just kind of accepted it as a new normal, and um, I, I'd be honest, uh, it, it has given me an opportunity uh, the last uh, week to watch an extraordinary amount of international football. Uh, old international football and really kind of appreciate the tactics and the tactical evolution of, uh, of the sport. And that's kind of coincided with me. And this is the thing that's interesting. And Jonathan Wilson always points this out. uh, Even though we tend to kind of see and, and talk and discuss about tactical changes during club uh, in club football, the tactical evolution tends to come around international tournaments. And it's something as someone who favors club football over international football, or at least claims to, I've always pushed back on. But then I'm watching 
six. I'm watching ten. I'm watching fourteen, and I'm watching the Euros from t- two thousand and two thousand four, and I'm seeing what Wilson's talking about. So it's been actually pretty fascinating. As an uh, companion, I've been reading David Goldblatt's latest book, The Era of Football. And in classic Goldblatt fashion, he weaves together um, elements of politics, society, culture, and of course, football. And uh, it's it's essentially a successor to uh, to uh, the ball is round. It picks up really it really kind of picks up with that euro 2000 final with uh with france and, and italy and you know goes around the world that, there's a lot more on the united states in this book than there was in the ball is round because i think the last 20 years and there's a lot on the women's game uh and the women's game tends to revolve or has historically revolved around the u.s there tends to uh there's been more impact from the u.s in the global game over the last 20 years at least from Goldblatt's reading than um, than elsewhere. Uh, it, other it, than that, Kartik, um, Kartik, just just for a second, it, it's funny you say that too because and this is no uh, this is a, a coincidence, but we didn't plan this at all. But I've been rereading uh, David Goldblatt's book, "The Ball Is Round." And uh, I remember getting it many Christmases ago, and I remember – it's a big book. I remember reading it, but I remember not finishing it because it was just you – know, life got too busy, and I had to put it to the side, and I don't think I ever finished it. So actually, this past week, I've been reading it, and there's um, one of the early chapters in the book. It's, it's almost as if um, the filmmakers who did The English Game by Netflix said, okay, let's go ahead and actually take – uh, this chapter and this make this into um, the English game, the series on Netflix, because it is, I mean, play by play. I mean, exactly what this film is all about. Yeah, Chris. I mean, the thing about Goldblatt is when he wrote the ball is round. I think we didn't. Uh, it was a brilliant book. Uh, but we didn't quite appreciate his grasp of, of, of greater issues around football. So uh, you're right. The English game, I think, was lifted entirely from uh, almost entirely from his book, although you could uh, also argue there have been some other historical books about the FA Cup that have been written, or FA Cup specifically, that they may have been taken from. But uh, then he wrote the book before the 2010 World Cup or sorry, the 2014 World Cup about Brazil. And that was colorful and really enjoyed that read. Then he wrote the book about the Premier League. And the Premier League book that he wrote talking about TV money and and Premier League owners watching the NFL, which I think is a theme we've seen in a couple books, right? There have been a couple Mm -hmm. books written about the early days of the Premier League and how it was inspired by the NFL. And David Dean was a Miami Dolphins fan, I think, and went to a Dolphins game and, and all of that stuff. And Lord Sugar was watching the NFL. Um, But what Goldblatt was able to do was kind of weave societal and historical happenings in England and Thatcherism and Blairism into that book. Then now in this new book, Age of Football, he's done that for the whole world. It's, It's really quite brilliant. I'm, a little more than halfway through the book, um, I'm I'm to the point where we're talking where he's talking about uh, the the divide between Catalonia and uh, and, and Castile and, and Madrid and and, uh, and Barcelona and, and of course having read Sid Lowe's great book on La Liga and Sid Lowe, if those of you who don't know, was a political writer before he was a football writer, so he, he's uniquely qualified to write a book like that. But the the same themes are coming back up. And you're seeing in his, him talk about how prior to 2008, when they won the Euros, there was a, a Catalonian resentment of the national team. Now, actually, Sid Lowe's book is, is about 
La Liga, right? It's about club football. This he's talking specifically about the national team. Um, but then eventually you had uh, when they win the world with the Euros, uh, not quite an eight. It wasn't they Catalonians weren't quite embracing the national team at that point, the the, the Spanish national team. But eight and uh, and ten and twelve when they win the especially twelve when they win the Euros, because we're now really far into the cycle. The same celebrations you saw in Valencia or Malaga or even Madrid you would see in Barcelona in the streets. And he, he said that that was like a, uh, a great moment for Catalonian integration into the greater nation. And then the next few years, the, uh, Spain falls off internationally, and then Catalonia is trying to push for independence again. So not, not that it's necessarily related, but that they're – he, that's how what he does in his writing, which is so, uh, so brilliant. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, and I know you finished it. I have not yet. I was actually intending to finish it yesterday, but uh, got kind of uh, ill, kind of sinusy, and then I'm fine this morning. But uh, went to bed early. The, the Puma versus Adidas, um, mm-hmm. yeah, which is uh, it's, it's a German movie, Adidas versus, Adidas versus Puma, German movie uh, uh, in German, done on uh, which is on Amazon Prime was really good the first hour i have not watched the rest of it i know you've watched it uh, and this was a coincidence we didn't plan this i started watching it and then um <laughs> you you said oh i've already watched it so yeah uh, no spoilers please yeah no spoilers here it's uh adidas versus puma the brothers feud and i can't mention it it's in german but uh it has uh closed captioning on amazon prime video so if you have amazon prime video or amazon prime it's free to watch and, and uh with the closed captioning you can have it in english and uh i'd recommend it it's really good it, it um I've always been an an Adidas fan in terms of a fan in terms of admirer of Adidas, the brand and the style and the clothing. And even when I was a kid, I was wearing Adidas, and I've always kind of leaned to Adidas. I have a lot of admiration for, for Puma, but it's just fascinating the the true life story of how Adidas was formed and how Puma was formed and the relationship between the family uh, that owned um, owned those companies. So. Definitely recommend uh, watching that one. No spoilers, but but that's uh, yeah. If you're a soccer fan, if you're a soccer fan and you're listening to this podcast, uh, David Goldblatt's stories and, and and books are recommended, and and this movie is too. It just uh, fits right into learning more about or appreciating more the history of uh, soccer and, and everything uh, around it. Uh, one thing I want to point out uh, is that Two DNA has been showing. Old Euro finals. Uh, I picked up on it when they showed France Italy because that was uh, a particular favorite of mine. Uh, Chris Whittingham, who has been on this show and obviously uh, works for 2DNA, uh, says they started with '88 with the with the Netherlands uh, final, Netherlands oh, wow. Soviet Union final. So would have loved to have seen that. Missed it, unfortunately. Uh, this is really interesting for me because we never saw these matches proper on American television. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were scrambling to find them. So well, some, some of these were on pay per view. I mean, if you remember, right. two thousand oh gosh, two thousand four was on pay per view. I think. I uh, yeah, I remember going to like three different places to try and find this Portugal Greece final, which I now have watched properly in my bedroom <laughs> in the last twenty four hours hmm. from two DNA, and I, and I ended up getting to a place that that did have it. 
which I think was the Lion and Eagle in, in Boca, around uh, the 40th minute. I mean, it was crazy. People weren't showing this. And there was even a British pub who told me uh, earlier in the tournament that this is the one by Lockhart where, where uh, Inter-Miami is going to play, where the Fort Lauderdale Strikers played, where uh, uh, the Fusion played, that uh, it was a NASCAR race day and they couldn't show it. They would normally show football, but not 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 that day. And that is actually the place I'd gone to see the 1999 uh, League One or what was it called then? Division Two final uh, between City and Gillingham, uh, which got Manchester City promoted uh, back uh, to, to, to the second flight. And quite honestly, if that that game hadn't happened the way it happened, Tony Pulis was managing Gillingham, by the way. Um, the, the rest of the history of Manchester City might not have happened. They were showing NASCAR, Chris, instead of England-France, which was a group <laughs> stage game. Um and, and uh, obviously, uh, Wayne Rooney got hurt in that tournament. We remember that. But this has kind of been really neat for me to be able to watch these matches in proper. And I think they're showing every final through um, through twelve, which is uh, which was obviously Spain, Italy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the the Tudo NA press. Um, no, it's not a press release. It's a press release, I guess. I I, I got it from them this week, and it, it's actually hard to keep up keep on uh, up to date on everything that's going on in terms of reruns because. There are actually most broadcasters are doing reruns. Some uh, are uh, letting getting the word out better than others, um, but this one is one. So to do any, so what they're having is so on every weekday on at noon Eastern time they're having uh, replays of all Champions League uh, finals, and then at one p.m. Uh, the action continues with a collection of the best European Championship finals, including Spain's back-to-back finals against Germany and Italy on Thursday and Friday, respectively. So we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, probably most people won't get a chance to to listen to this pod and find out about the Spain-Germany final, but uh, Friday does have uh, Spain against Italy uh, in the Euro uh, Championships. So, yeah, definitely a good tip there, Kartik. The, the, the thing, the thing that I find so interesting now, watching the Ray Hoggle or the uh, Ray Hoggle, of course, he was the, the the main figure and he's a manager, but the Germany. Uh, sorry, I'm thinking Ray Hoggle with Germany, the Greece Portugal final, Chris, and then watching. Uh, multiple games from the 2006 World Cup that FIFA has done in their World Cup at home, most notably France versus Brazil. You're seeing how the low block that Greece played then influenced the tactics. In the low block Greece played in 2004 then influenced the tactics of the 2006 World Cup, uh, where you, you, you're getting um, you're, you're getting formations that put three or four guys in the midfield to try and break that down. And in the case of France, what was particularly interesting was seeing how, how good McAuley was and how that allowed Vieira to have kind of a freer role than he had had in, in 98 or 2002 for France or in, even in the Euros in 2004, uh, although McAuley was kind of hitting his apex in 2004. Um, the World Cup at home, let me just mention this real quickly. This is something FIFA's doing. They're airing, um, FIFA.com is doing their airing uh, previous World Cup games, uh, both women's and men's World Cup. So I've seen a couple of U.S. women's World Cup matches, the, the England game from last year, the Germany game from 2015, uh, among others, during this, this uh, thing. Um, they're airing it on YouTube with... Um, with the international feed, but then also at halftime, they're doing these kind of promotional things for the WHO, which have been cool, which have had uh, Gary Lineker, Wayne Rooney, Arsene Wenger, uh, El Hodge Tooth, you know, all these people, all these figures from around football um, 
Oliver Kahn in, in, in their language. Uh, it's funny. Everybody did it in their native language, except for Jose Mourinho, who did his in English. But um, <laughs> which probably shouldn't surprise us, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, but they, giving these like health announcements and promoting the WHO, which I think has been uh, cool, especially at a time when uh, the WHO is under assault here in the U.S. But um, real quickly, some of the games that you can see on there, Netherlands, Brazil in 2010. This is another fantastic game and uh, uh, really kind of um, opened our eyes to um, – to that, 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 the fact that Brazil, I think, had, had slipped. I think in 2006, we thought it was uh, an aberration. Then they come back and win the Copa in 2007. Germany, Mexico from, from the most recent World Cup, which I know is a favorite of a lot of people. USA, Germany from 2015, great game. Uh, Harley Lloyd's masterpiece, a game I think going into it, we thought that Germany were the better team. Uh, the uh, Germany, England 2010, uh, which is, of course, the thing that stuns me about this game was I guess I had completely forgotten other than the Lampard non-allowed goal, which was clearly over the line, the the, the, the course of the match. Um, Germany yeah. dominated until England scored, Matthew Upson scored a goal, and then literally a minute later, Lampard should have had a second. Then England was really good for like the next 30 minutes after that disallowed goal. And then after that, Germany just took them apart again. I, for whatever reason, I had remembered the game oppositely. Right? England was in it, and then that disallowed goal. They were dispirited. That actually wasn't the case. Um, Spain-Netherlands 2014, brilliant, brilliant game. And, and my observation from this also is it reminded me what an impact, as great as Robin was at Chelsea and at Real Madrid, what an impact Louis van Gaal had on his career and how he went from being a really good player to like a world elite top 10 player because of van Gaal, first at Bayern, and then with uh, um, with the Dutch team. And then, uh, of course, uh, the Tournament of Nations game, which U.S. soccer showed between Brazil and the U.S. from 2017, the great U.S. comeback, U.S. women's comeback. And Chris, um, just this reminded me, during the course of every World Cup cycle recently, or the last two cycles where the U.S. has ended up winning the World Cup, there have been significant doubts about the U.S.'s competitiveness about midway through the cycle. Then in 2013, a coach was sacked. In 2015, uh, 2017, Joe Ellis was very, very close to being sacked. And, and there's still people who think maybe she would have been sacked if the men's team hadn't blown up so badly. U.S. soccer didn't want to replace both coaches in rapid succession. But um, just reminds us that World Cups, World Cup cycles are cycles. And uh, oftentimes it's the team that's peaking at the tournament that wins it. It's not necessarily the team that's been the best during the four years. Because I think especially the last four years, we could very clearly say at times uh, the Netherlands were better than the U.S. or France was better than the U.S. Uh, but the U.S. ended up winning the World Cup again and beat both those teams. So so all of these uh, that you mentioned, Kartik, are available, available for free on YouTube. So again, Correct. check out the uh, FIFA YouTube channel for their, the daily games. And also uh, the last one you mentioned too is US Soccer. Check out their YouTube channel. Um, and, and it's great to see, Kartik. There's been a lot of... Um, I think almost every major club, or even not even major club, but every club is doing something. So um, yesterday, for example, just as one example, Swansea City, my, my club, was replaying the Swansea Bradford League Cup final in in its entirety. Okay. Oh wow! So, so so every day, most clubs are doing something. You mean there's some content out there? So um, some great recommendations from you, Kartik, there too. So for me, it's been a little bit different. So so from now, when we're recording this podcast, Kartik, in about two weeks, the Bundesliga 
knock on wood, if everything goes according to plan, is scheduled to come back and start playing games um, behind closed doors, which is not going to be exciting. But they are talking about bringing in, uh, uh, piping in audio crowd noise, which is something we talked about when we watched those games six weeks ago now. Um, games p- played behind closed doors, but you just couldn't hear anything. It was just, all, you, all you could hear was the players on the, fi- in the field and there was no atmosphere. So I think that's a good step by the Bundesliga. The Premier League is also discussing the same thing too, piping in crowd noise um, until um, fans can return. But the, the thing about that, though, Kartik, to me is that, yeah, you can have crowd noise, but you need to be able to control that. So if it's a quiet spell in the game, you need to kind of kind of uh, have the crowd noise kind of get a little bit quieter. If it's a fever pitch kind of... Uh, pinball situation with the ball back and forth in the, in the goal mouth and hits a crossbar, comes off, you mean, uh, hits a player, another shot. You need to build up that that um, atmosphere to a crescendo. So yeah. ho- hopefully, hopefully they'll be able to do st- stuff to that level uh, just to really get the viewer uh, and, and the players too. This has an impact on the players. So that's two weeks away. So in the meantime, what I've been watching this past week, uh, you've gone down the route of uh, watching a lot of classic matches. I've gone down the route of watching a lot of uh, FIFA 20 games. So uh, I watched uh, Ben Wilmot, who used to play for Watford, now plays for Swansea. Uh, he was involved in the uh, lockdown FIFA competition. So I watched Swansea against Bolton. Bolton had uh, Harry Brockbank playing. So, But they're both playing live um, FIFA 20 on the PS4, and you're watching the game. So it's Swansea against Bolton. It was, it was really good. I, I enjoyed Speaking it. Speaking of video games, Ben Wilmot is a great football manager signing because he's a young player. Uh, you can sign him uh, relatively cheap. I mean, I have to I have to give Swansea more money than uh, than I wanted to. But uh, he's, he's actually, <laughs> uh, if you're playing for multiple, multiple years, you can get him at a young age, and he's a center back. He's versatile enough. You can play him at fullback. And uh, and uh, he's a guy you can keep for five to seven years uh, at least. So uh, yeah. funny you mentioned him and video games because he's a guy I think of also. And, and and in real life he's a great player too. So and and actually at FIFA he's really good too. So there's been several clubs involved, including Scunthorpe, West Ham, Liverpool, and others. And um, they're right near the final. It's I think maybe this weekend they're going into the final. So if you're interested in that one, check out Lockdown FIFA. On um, on Twitter, just 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 uh, search for that there, and you'll find that one. Um, and and actually, donations. They're encouraging people to make donations that go to the NHS. Uh, so that's a very UK driven uh, competition. Then this past Sunday night, I watched uh, EMLS's debut on Fox Sports One, and uh, this one they had um, a bunch of games on there: Cincinnati against Chicago, LA Galaxy against LAFC. And then they had the final with the the winners of of those two games, and um, I I enjoyed it. It was exciting. Um, I liked watching it. I was um, the, the the issue I have with it is just the way that it's produced. So it's so fast. <clears throat> the game of FIFA twenty, the video game, is so fast paced anyway that uh, for a commentator, it's really difficult to commentate a game like that because it moves so quickly. There's a lot more goals than in a normal game. 
Um, so this one, you had Stu Holden doing the commentary. Uh, Mike LaBelle, who's a, a famous FIFA play, uh, video game player, he was doing the co-commentary. And then you had Rachel Bonetta uh, doing the sideline reporting, essentially. And um, it was just too fast-paced. So Stu Holden was trying to keep up with the commentary. And when you go fast, 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 it's just it's there's no pause. I mean, the commentary wasn't... I would have loved to have John Strong doing the commentary um, on that. And then having Stu Holden perhaps doing the the color commentary and then Mike LaBelle maybe at halftime as the, as the FIFA video game analyst uh, giving his thoughts and Rachel Bonetta. I love Rachel. She's so entertaining. So funny. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's, there's, it's just too many people involved. Um, and Rachel maybe should go on and, and do something else soccer re- related for Fox, but this one's probably not a great fit for her in this present, the way it's, it's produced. Um, in the LA Galaxy LFC game, you had uh, Chicharito playing. So you had it, it was interesting because you had Chicharito and uh, I think uh, Diomande uh, from LAFC playing. So you'd have video of them in their homes playing the game, and then on the same screen you'd see um, the actual game happening. The only issue with that, though, too, which was really actually fun to see that, though, is that they were mic'd up, so you would hear them talking to themselves through the game. And at the same time, you had Stu Holden doing his commentary. And then you'd have um, the co-com from Mike LaBelle. So it was just too many voices sometimes. And, and it was just people talking over each other. Um, but all in all, it was entertaining. I would watch it again. I think it's going on this weekend again on FS1. And um, I think it's um, maybe this weekend's the final week. I'm not, I'm not sure. But it, um, the next round, it, <clears throat> it will be happening this weekend. So check that out. And... Uh, that's about it, Kartik, in terms of my – I've already talked about – I'll e- be honest e- with you. I didn't watch this, but Rachel Panetta could actually do play-by-play. She's done that before, and she's been okay. Yeah. So um, I kind of like – look, I mean, and even when it comes to – and I was talk, talking to a friend about this history. Even when it comes to news anchors and, and people who present, I, I tend to like – bubbly, enthusiastic people, which may be why I like both Holden and, and Twelman so much. Uh, Rachel Benetta conveys that to me, uh, even going back to when she used to do like these these videos for MLS, uh, for the MLS website in a way back when. So I think actually for an event like this, she'd probably be really good as the main commentator. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's um, Rachel. I don't know. I, I just think possibly. I mean, I mean, to commentate is difficult anyway. To commentate FIFA video games is going to be even more difficult. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm sure there's a, there's a spot there for her someplace, but it's so rare these days that she does any soccer coverage. So it was good to have her on. And um, Rachel, we've been a big fan of since since the beginning, since she was. Uh, Early days of I think Toronto FC when she was one of yeah. the, one of the the, the the main video people there too, um, and um, when she started off at uh, MLS or I think yeah it was MLS I think it was or Kick TV way before she uh, she went yeah, to, Kick to TV Fox is what it was right right yeah I said MLS website but it was Kick TV so um, yeah so that's about it from my watching so so in comparison I guess I guess you've got um, <clears throat> also, also actually the Premier League had their um, EPL Invitational, so they they had their FIFA um, uh, video game competition this week too, which will continue, um, and that one's on the NBC Sports app. That's one's also um, I think on 
what is it? Uh, Twitter, the, the Premier League Twitter's account, the Premier League Facebook account. So you've got the uh, Premier League doing one. You got Liga Max doing one. You got MLS doing one. I believe Telemundo Deportes has shown. Yep, that's uh, true. Has shown it, even though NBCSN hasn't. Although they will this weekend, I believe. But yeah. Uh, Telemundo, it's been more accessible uh, on Spanish television than on English language television. So it's far. true. Yeah, it's true. So, so we have uh, the full schedule of all the um, MLS, uh, Liga MX, and Premier League games that are playing played on FIFA 20, which is so surreal, uh, on our main website, on, on worldsoccertalk.com, on the homepage. So you can check out uh, if you want to watch any of those games. It's it, it's it, At this point, it's it's fun to watch. I just think it could be produced better. Um, and so part of the issue, too, is there's technical issues. Um, you mean in terms of bandwidth, in terms of just the, the delay, in terms of just lag, um, like games being laggy, um, but you mean they're, do, they're doing the best they, they can. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, and and the big, big, big one that I think everybody is talking about, which is the Newcastle United situation. BN Sports has written letters to all twenty Premier League clubs to warn them of the dangers of Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle United, a government that flaunts piracy. So we let, let's 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 kind of reset this for a lot of the listeners who might forget this. Twenty seventeen Saudi Arabia. And uh, United Arab Emirates, among other countries, uh, uh, begin a blockade of Qatar, which is in their neighborhood, right? So an economic blockade. 2018, the World Cup rolls around. BN Sports is the rights holder in the Middle East, North Africa territory for FIFA, right? So we have something called uh, Be Out Q. Am I right? That's what it's called, right? right. Be Out Q. Be Out Q, which the Saudi government pushes, which is – Piracy, which allows essentially uh, people in that region where the rights are held and, and, and uh, BN Sports has, in their mind, paid a very high rights fee to FIFA to be the exclusive broadcaster in that region. There is piracy going on uh, with, um, with, with the broadcast of, of that 2018 FIFA World Cup. It then has expanded beyond that to other things that BN Sports, again, from Qatar um, – has the rights to in in football be out Q being of course uh, Saudi now the Saudi sovereign wealth fund which is controlled by the Saudi government so it's essentially a government um, government takeover appears to have be close to reaching a deal or signing a deal with Mike Ashley this has been rumored for months but uh, with Mike Ashley to take over Newcastle United now let's not forget that that both the UAE and uh, Qatar essentially own football clubs themselves in, in uh, Manchester City for UAE and uh, Qatar for um, for uh, PSG for Qatar. How, however, I the way this is explained legally to me, Chris, there's a little more of a separation in the ownership and the way the ownership portfolio was held for PSG and Man City than there would be for Newcastle. Newcastle is hmm. almost more directly. The Saudis haven't gone through the process of saying, okay, this royal – this member of the royal family has their own independent holdings, and in their own independent holdings, are buying Manchester City or PSG. It's actually directly from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. They have not gone through the legal process of separating it. So that makes it even murkier. 
And so there's just a lot here. Yeah, what a mess. I mean, you can imagine, too, if this deal goes through, is that, uh, I mean, Newcastle United's sponsors for next season could be, I don't know, Visit Saudi Arabia or, or something. I mean, it's an opportunity for Saudi Arabia, the, the government, to go ahead and use Newcastle United to be on the world stage and give positive messages yeah, uh, about, yeah. about the government. And... Um, whether it was the, I mean, the, 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 we can go down the list politically speaking in terms of all the things that Saudi Arabia is doing. Um, and at the same time, too, I can see why BN Sports would be upset about this because they're looking at um, Saudi Arabia, which uh, not only uh, is the country that has B out Q and uh, seems to be funded by the Saudi Arabian government, too. So it's an initiative. It's a that the, the Saudi Arabians are doing it on purpose to go ahead and try to hurt um, be in sports, which are based in Qatar. And there's the political war, essentially, between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And uh, be in sports has said, I mean, actually, right before the, the coronavirus uh, erupted, I had an interview with be in sports, in-depth interview, that talking about the issues of piracy, uh, I haven't released that interview yet, uh, just because of the, of the timing of everything going on with the coronavirus. It's it's not a higher priority talking about video piracy when there's there's no games going on. But um, they they are waging uh, uh, waging their own war against piracy and trying to get uh, sports broadcasters and and uh, in the the NFL. It's not just soccer either. It's not, it's not even just being sports uh, coverage of of soccer it's it's everything so be out queue if you're in saudi arabia or actually anywhere in the world you can you can log into and see be out queue the illegal uh, station and it has nfl has uh, you know golf nascar I mean, it has everything on there so um yeah this one you would think that the newcastle deal will go through kartik based on everything that's happened in the past from the premier league uh you mean the manchester city um buyout by the the thai billionaire and and all kind of the track record of, of things e- have been passed more recently uh sheffield united right? although i guess they were in the championship at the time they were in the football league but uh there is there is there are ties okay so actually if we want to talk about how it would be properly done there is i believe a saudi so saudi royal or someone connected to the saudi royal family that has now uh majority ownership state in Sheffield United, which is, of course, a Premier League club in the top half right now. Um, So there might be a proper way to do this. At the same time, Chris, I have to tell you, I think Newcastle fans have suffered for so long. And I I don't know that there's a group of football fans relative to maybe their level of expectation, their level of fandom that have suffered as long in England. Uh, In other countries, there, there are clear examples. I would say Schalke in, in Germany, maybe the biggest one in the, in, in the, uh, um, in in the uh, in the continent of Europe, but um, so I kind of want this to happen, even though I don't want I don't want it to happen. If you know what I mean, because mm-hmm. I really feel like Newcastle fans deserve to be liberated from Mike Ashley, and it's pretty obvious in the past he will only take a offer well over the value of the club to sell. Um, so I, I have to say I'm more torn about this than I thought I would be. If you told me. Uh, Nine months ago, oh, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund is going to buy a Premier League club. I would, I would have told you, oh, I'm adamantly against that. We got to keep them out. But because it's Newcastle, um, I, I'm, I'm feeling uh, conflicted about this because I really think that's a group of supporters that deserves something positive to happen. 
yeah, once <clears throat> once the Premier League does come back, it's going to be a different world. And 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 that goes for any league, Major League Soccer, Bundesliga, etc. It's going to be a different world because uh clubs will have less money, um uh, which means that there's going to be issues with uh, paying players. Uh there's not going to be a big transfer window for any time in the near future where clubs are going to be splashing money around. You look at all levels of soccer from the youth soccer all the way through up and to the top clubs around the world. Um, there's going to be pullback. There's going to be less spending. There's going to be cutbacks. There's going to be layoffs. There's going to be big issues. Um, and then you look at Newcastle United, uh, potentially going the steel going through and being owned by Saudi Arabia. If the Saudis wanted to, uh, even despite the current oil crisis, if they wanted to, they could pump I mean, hundreds of millions of pounds into this club and um, be in the transfer market, be uh, actually one of the few uh, clubs that are actually splashing in cash and spending some money, bringing in some top players. You can imagine, you can almost guarantee Kartik that the first move that they'll make is probably getting rid of uh, Steve Bruce, bringing in some manager, I don't know, Carlo, Ancel- Carlo Ancelotti, back, who, who knows? They're going to bring Rafa back, supposedly. Bring Rafa back. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, that, that would, that would uh, overnight would... Uh, you mean the Newcastle fans would love you for life uh, overnight, just based on that one move, and and, and why not? You I mean go go ahead and do it, and um, I mean in a couple of years from now we could be talking about Newcastle United uh, competing in the UEFA Champions League, and uh, I mean it's happened to Manchester City, it's happened uh, to to Liverpool, it's happened to Manchester. You I mean you can go down the list in terms of all the clubs that have been um, bought out by foreign. Billionaires, you mean, or multi-billionaires, or in this case, uh, governments, and um, yeah. I mean, the only one not? that hasn't been among big clubs is Tottenham, which um, is mm-hmm. why uh, and Leeds. Well, I mean, Leeds is is owned by a by a billionaire from abroad, but he doesn't. Andrea Rodrizzani, who I I know a little bit, lives actually lives in Miami, does not have the kind of. Uh, Deep pockets some of these other folks do, but every other club has been bought out. Everton, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk that uh, Everton would be the next club to, to fall afoul of uh, of uh, financial fair play the way Manchester City and PSG have because they have a billionaire foreign, again, Middle Eastern owner in Mashari who um, has clearly overspent the club's revenues the last few years. Now, with this, I think the way FFP is, is implemented is going to be very interesting after this, Chris, because I, I think whatever investment you have in football, given I think we we all kind of understand the game is going to contract, the scope of the game is going to contract after this. I think it's UEFA has an uphill climb to say to let's say in this case Newcastle's uh, new owners, no, you can't spend that money. You right. can't invest in your community. You can't invest in yeah. in football because uh, I think it's it, the, the the public opinion and the way people perceive these things would have completely changed after this crisis uh, i think financial fair play may be done at this point yeah i, th- I think so too out the window because um if you have a club that's willing to spend uh i mean hundreds of millions of pounds on players and to invest in the game is that you're not going to say no to that at this point especially even tv contracts too the value of tv contracts going into the next right cycle and we know that the Premier League's ones coming up um, ends in 2022, as does Major League Soccer. It's at a time where a lot of TV networks are going to say, hey, you mean we've, we we took a hit in 2020. We're not going to have as much money to, to bid and spend on, on TV rights for 2022. 
uh, unless, say, an Amazon comes in or unless a, a Facebook comes in, but but they may not want to do that uh, uh, either. So the, the the likelihood of TV rights value going down is is enormous, which which means that if you have somebody that's willing willing to spend money to put money into the game, you don't say no to that. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Kartik. I think it's out the window there. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next piece of item is uh, something we broke last weekend, um, and it is that Fox Soccer Match Pass, the streaming service from Fox Sports, will shut down on June thirtieth. Now, for those who may not be as familiar with Fox Soccer Match Pass, it began, uh, I think it was 2010, as FoxSoccer.tv. It was an extension of the, yep. the website. It had some uh, Premier League games, uh, very little coverage, but it did have some live streaming of games. And at the time, that was really um, revolutionary. It was something brand new. It was something that uh, Satanta was doing, too, with Satanta I. Um, but it was run about that time, so really kind of a groundbreaking time. That uh, evolved into Fox Soccer to Go, uh, and then Fox Soccer to Go rebranded as Fox Soccer Match Pass. Uh, as as of right now, Fox Soccer Match Pass has the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga Two, and um, some some Major League Soccer games, and uh, that's about it. Maybe uh, the, rugby and stuff too. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rugby, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, AFL like Aussie rules and things like that. But uh, with the Bundesliga going away to ESPN uh, Plus after the season ends, uh, it, it would have meant that Fox Soccer Match Pass, uh, even though it was priced at one of the most expensive uh, streaming packages at about $20 a month, would have nothing really available for soccer fans. So it, it's closing down. Uh, if you go to the, the worldsoccertalk.com website on the homepage, it has information about getting refunds and also has a lot of information about canceling your account, uh, step-by-step instructions. So check that out too, especially if you, you've paid for an annual subscription um, and you're not going to get that that full year's worth because um, they're going to pull the plug. So go to that website and um, check that out. Yeah, real quickly, when it first launched, it was revolutionary in 2010, and it had Liga 1, I remember, so I, I subscribed, it had Premier League leftovers, it had for a little bit some Scottish yep. games, so there there was some usefulness to it, and I want to say there were some other um, kind of international matches and things that, that would show up on there, and then gradually through time, it became less and less useful, honestly, so, uh, but I, I give Fox props, I think it was a, it was... They, they had the technology from Satanta to go, um, and, and they had replicated that. And then it was also the first service that didn't buffer uh, too much. I mean, I think even in those days, the old ESPN 360 buffered an awful lot. And you'd fall, five, you know, you'd fall two, three, sometimes five minutes behind in games. I just remember Fox Soccer TV in the 2010-2011 season using it a lot. I was working for the NASL and was traveling a lot and would use it. Uh, I remember even watching using it at Fort Lauderdale Airport to watch an Arsenal-Man City match. And uh, it, it, the quality of streaming was far ahead of the competition. So I know we tend to beat up on Fox a lot, but I think this is another place where Fox uh, was kind of ahead of it at one time. Yeah, definitely in terms of the effort. Um, there were problems throughout the times. I mean, the FoxSoccer.tv had issues. I mean, but it, it was a new technology at the time. The Fox Soccer, uh Actually, I, I remember writing an article called uh, FoxSoccer.tv Sucks, and it went through and it explained like a whole how I think like a whole weekend or two weekends of, of uh, Premier League soccer 
um, which some of the games were only available through foxsoccer.tv. I mean, the, the, the service crashed. It was uh, they were playing the wrong game, and and um, I think shortly afterwards, I got a phone call from Fox Soccer uh, saying like, "Hey, we're really upset. Everyone in, in the organization is really upset about you and, and the article you wrote." <clears throat> and I was like, "Well, it's true. It does suck. It's like you mean this as as far as, far as a product goes." Uh, people are paying for this, and it's not even working correctly. And um, but and then shortly thereafter, they changed the na- the name of it. But yeah, it's um, yeah. There's definitely a lot of um, um, kudos that should be given to Fox for, for having it. Um, but it's well past its sell by date. And for the Bundesliga fans, I mean, that was the thing that was um, a guarantee. You could get every single Bundesliga game and uh, most I mean, many of the uh, Bundesliga two games on there. Um, the issue, though, Kartik, is, you I mean, if uh, the season looks like it's going to start up on May 9th-ish, and uh, if, they will, if it won't finish by June 30th, what they'll do, whether or not... I, I guess they're, they're thinking that the season will end by June 30th and everything will be wrapped up. But if it goes past June 30th, I wonder if like, foxsoccer.com might actually show some of the games that are... Uh, for free, basically, just uh, yeah. just uh, or, or or maybe the Bundesliga would, maybe or, or maybe ESPN would pick those up. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Last but not least, Kartik on um, in the news section. This is that um, U.S. Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation, has been approved. They they, they filed uh, for a bailout, and it's been approved. Um, they're going to receive a bailout from the government. Uh, despite having a cash surplus of reportedly as much as $140 million a couple of years ago. And this is something that um, these loans are supposed to be for small businesses. Um, If you've been following the news, you know that uh, a lot of major corporations have been gobbling up a lot of these loans that were intended for small businesses. And uh, you had, was it uh, Shake Shack? This week, saying that uh, they had uh, received a, uh, a loan from the government for about $10 million and returned it. You had what, Ruth Chris Steakhouse that uh, accepted the loans. Yeah. And now you have U.S. soccer supposedly, reportedly, reportedly uh, with a cash surplus of $140 million as of a couple of years ago, saying, yeah, we'll take a bailout from the government. What's what's your take, Kartik? Yeah, so first off, I was real disappointed to uh, to hear about uh, with Soccer America broke first, Bodor at Soccer America, uh, the uh, the firing of uh, uh, Brian Remedi and Tanya Wallach. I, I think this happened maybe before our last show, the night before, but we didn't talk about it because this bailout hadn't happened yet. I, I was really disappointed because uh, th- there were a lot of people, I think, in the building there at Soccer House who don't quite get it. Uh, these are two of the people that did. I mean, I think Brian Remedi especially was always very approachable for people outside the kind of MLS Soccer United marketing family. But what you have is Will Wilson, former Wasserman, former Sum, former MLS, coming in now as the new Dan Flynn, and it looks like he's cre- putting his imprint on the organization. So you fire two very competent, uh, granted highly paid executives at a time when supposedly money is an issue. You've gone from $150 million or $150, $40 million surplus in 2018 to this, where you're, uh, you're, you've got your hand out for government loans at a time of economic meltdown. Uh, it's, it's rather unbelievable. They've shut down the DA. I, uh, my understanding, and I, I want to confirm this, is that there is some feeling that the Copa America 2016 money, which apparently was in the neighborhood of 40 or $50 million to the Federation – um, is sitting in another account. Hmm. 
Yeah. So that's why the number is not – we can't reconcile the number. So if that's the case, uh, and they're getting a, a supposedly an annual $30 million from some, which is a lump sum, right? It includes whatever their revenue from the TV deal is and media partnership and maybe some sort of payment. I, I, I don't know, which is – that might all come out in relevant sports lawsuits. Um they don't have very much revenue other than that, apparently, or so they claim. We've also got multiple lawsuits, and obviously lawyers' fees we knew uh, per the reporting of people like Bodor and, and Paul Kennedy and, and Mickey Turner had already chipped away at their um, at their surplus. Jeff Carlisle of ESPN now reporting that they've – happily taking government money um, right after they fire. I mean, I think the optics are horrible because they just fired. They just closed the DA last week and they fired two highly paid executives ostensibly because of this. Um, but now you're thinking they already took their cost cutting measures. <laughs> right. Right. So um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with this money. I, I, I do not assume it's it's uh, invested back in the sport. They've al- already you know cut off their charitable arm, right? They're trying to keep that in house. So, uh, just more bad publicity for them. I guess they don't care. Uh, that's the thing we've learned about U.S. soccer that they generally don't care about the bad optics. I think there had been a a change late last year and late in 2019 where um, uh, Carlos Cordero was still the president. Brian Remedi was essentially filling the role of Dan Flynn after Dan Flynn left. And there was an effort to engage media. There was an effort to engage the public and fans uh, in a way that they hadn't ever before. Uh, now with Remedy gone, Cordero gone, Wilson and uh, the, uh, the, the MLS gang seemingly running things again. I, I think uh, those days are done. They're going to be uh, uh, unabashed and unashamed of what they do. Yeah, again, it's more examples of uh, mismanagement by U.S. soccer, and this has been going on for years, as well as uh, poor leadership in in the situation that they're in with the lawsuits, with um, uh, having a cash surplus, but maybe perhaps, like you said, Kartik, having some of these funds in a different account that they can't access. Uh, and then, and then all the lawsuits they've had, and then now this news. Now they're 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 begging for a bailout money, which they're getting from the government, which is effectively coming come from us, the taxpayers. And, and here's another thing. So I think we've taken some great pride in saying through the years, uh, uh, unlike other countries where football, soccer, whatever whatever you prefer, is is government subsidized or government funded, and football federations have government infer- interference and have. Uh, political ties. U.S. soccer has been very, very independent of government interference. You could argue, okay, there have been people who are uh, political figures, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Donald Shalala, whoever, who have been very involved with U.S. soccer through the years. But generally, that's been the case. It's much more independent. And same thing with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Generally, has been more independent than these federations, these governing bodies in other countries, including in some Western countries. Now, suddenly, I don't think you can make that claim ever again. That's another problem. That's another perception public relations problem down the road. Yeah, and all of this comes back to television in a way with the TV rights contact is because of the money that the that the U.S. soccer is getting from um, not from say say an ESPN or a Fox or a, you mean one of those broadcasters, but from Soccer United Marketing, which is the marketing arm of Major League Soccer, which is the the, co- the corporation um, organization that does the the TV deals to get a TV deal for. Um, rights to U.S. soccer games, they combine it with Major League Soccer, and um, and then some 
Soccer United Marketing says, okay, this is how much money uh, U.S. soccer gets, which is approximately $30 million um, a a year, even though it has the U.S. soccer rights in there, has the uh, U.S. women's rights in there, which are uh, increasing in value. And then you've got uh, the Major League Soccer uh, rights in there, too. So they've added that in, too. If you blew the whole thing up and said, okay, hey, Soccer United Marketing, thanks but no thanks, um, U.S. Soccer, we've decided uh, in the future we're going to go ahead and um, do our own deals or we're going to have a, an agency that uh, from the outside come in and do the deals for us. We're going to sell the, uh, the U.S. Women, women's rights to U.S. women's games separately. We're going to sell the uh, U.S. men's rights separately. And uh, Major League Soccer, thanks but no thanks. But, okay, you guys go ahead and, and sell those yourself and see how you guys do with that. My bet is that those rights, the value of those rights would increase considerably if you went ahead. And now, you mean, for for U.S. soccer, U.S. soccer would get a larger uh, amount of money coming in each month than what they're getting currently through some. Now, there's benefits of working with some in terms of the marketing, in terms of the, the events and the games and uh, having Mexico come and, and come over to the United States and play friendlies and things like that. But those are things that U.S. soccer could be doing themselves or have a, uh, an outside agency that's not tied with Major League Soccer doing that. So, um, well, and even, even if they keep having some do. Yeah, no, no, but I, sorry to cut you off. Even if they keep having some doing this, I think the, the fundamental thing goes back to what you said earlier, Chris. If you split the packages, and even if some is the one negotiating the U.S. soccer package, it's just split, I think things are radically different. I think the bundling is even more than them serving as the marketing agency is the real problem. Mm-hmm. Well, in all of this, Kartik, and this is a rumor. We have to say that this is a rumor. We don't have any evidence of this. But the rumor was... Um, that the reason that Carlos Cordero uh, was gotten rid of uh, within within uh, U.S. soccer and, and had to step down and had to apologize and then step down was because he was talking about perhaps um, having Soccer United marketing not be involved in the next right cycle. Have you heard that rumor? Well, I, I had heard that it actually – he may have had them involved, but he was seriously contemplating the split in the package. So they could negotiate the package for U.S. soccer. They'd be retained to do that, but that they would have to have a separate U.S. soccer package than MLS, which again, you know, that 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 to me I guess would be okay if it's true what some some proponents claim is that, oh, IMG would never take this account or, or uh, Octagon would never take this account. Well, that may be true. It probably isn't, but may be true. Let's accept that it's true for a minute. I think fundamentally, if you split the packages, maybe there's a little more transparency and honesty in this thing. Cordero, at the very least, from what I understand from multiple sources, was seriously considering pushing that uh, that that potential, which uh, obviously was not something uh, MLS and Soccer United Marketing were going to tolerate conversation about. So uh, Cordero's gone. Uh, they've got Wilson as the C- CEO and. I don't think that there's any threat of that happening now, right? Now I think they're safe. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's one of those things, though, too, that I think Major League Soccer on it by itself uh, could go out there to market and get a considerable amount, amount of money for their rights and, um, and, and be self-sufficient in terms of having that. Uh, combining that with U.S. soccer uh, gives the, those rights more value. Yes, definitely. 
Uh, and in the past, I can see why they did it, because the value of Major League Soccer rights, say, 10 years ago, would have been very little. It'd been very difficult for them to get a large amount of money for that. So they combine it with US Soccer and say, OK, let's go in together as a partnership uh, under Soccer United Marketing. We'll get more money uh, and then we'll be able to spread the wealth. OK, that's the past. As of now, I think it's one of those things that uh, and we've called for this. You know, I think you had an article about a year ago, Kartik, saying like, hey, it's time to split it. It's time to have yeah. U.S. women have an opportunity to go ahead and have their own rights deal, maybe with U.S. soccer or separately, where they can go ahead and, and uh, get more value. And that money comes back more into the women's game versus right now with the rights and, and the money that's say uh, Fox and ESPN and Univision pays Soccer United Marketing to have the rights to US soccer and Major League Soccer games, that money goes into some and then some within some, they spread that out. So some of it goes to US soccer, a lot of it goes to Major League Soccer um, and the women kind of get lost in, in the shuffle with that. So they're not, so that that's one of the reasons that we brought up this uh, this news item this week about um, US soccer getting a bailout. It's a big story. And it's a story, Kartik, to be honest with you, that not a lot of people have picked up on. And you had uh, Jeff Carlisle and Taylor Twellman from ESPN uh, discussing it. But outside of those circles, you'd be hard-pressed to find much coverage or much much discussion about this other than World Soccer Talk and, and maybe some of the social media accounts. Yeah, and Soccer America, of course. Um, right. But yeah, there's very little discussion of it, which which shocks me. I think it's just kind of an accepted – this is the thing that gets me is that I think that there's a lot of anger about U.S. soccer, but it's anger in, in bouts, right? You don't have it sustained, and it seems like they still get away with an awful lot. Yeah, yeah, and um, for many different reasons, because I, I, again, there's always the the always the the thought that um, a lot of U.S. soccer journalists who are, I mean, fearing for their jobs at this point in terms of, you mean, do they, I mean, their employers, their publishers, um, you mean, do they have enough money to keep paying these writers? But but even before that too, there's always kind of the the thought. That you have you had to toe the line because if you didn't toe the line, um, there's the likelihood that you could get replaced. Um, within the U.S. soccer circles, it's a very uh, almost like a boys' club too, where everyone is uh, preaching from the same uh, hymn sheet, everyone is saying the same things, uh, and there's there aren't a lot of people that rock the boat uh, because if you rock the boat, then you could be pushed out or you could have your access to games uh, held back i mean there's a lot of different things that can happen within that within that uh soccer industry so to speak all right Kartik, let's move on to listen to mailbag first up is ritik and he says i highly recommend the documentary american pharaoh it was about bob bradley's tenure as the, the egyptian national team manager during their 2014 world cup qualification and the challenge he faced to unite a country that was dealing with a terrible political situation. Kartik, I've been watching this uh, film this week on YouTube. It's available for free. And um, I think it was on PBS for a while, too. And um, yeah. I'm making my way through it. I haven't finished it yet. So I'll talk more about it next week. But did you see this one? Yeah, I saw it when it came out um, on, uh, I think, on PBS. Yeah, you're right. Uh, or maybe I saw it online. But uh, it's fantastic, and it just shows it, – it, if, if you don't already love Bob Bradley, you're going to gain an absolutely new appreciation for him from this uh, documentary. 
Next up is Vincent Orozco. Vincent says, I think you guys are mind readers or I've been listening to the show for too long. The reason I say that is when I'm listening to your takes on the movies and books you recommend, they're so similar to mine. It's like you're reading my mind. Freaky. I love the fact you read emails from listeners last week. You got an email from Once in a Lifetime. I have a totally different take from the book and movie. In my opinion, we were so close to having the top league in the world. And in my opinion, if the U.S. would have gotten the 1986 World Cup, uh, which went to Mexico, NASL would be here today. Do you guys agree? Because the U.S. audience would have seen Diego um, Armando Maradona at his best. And the 1986 World Cup revenues would have increased. I also think the league is uh, is making a mistake by not having a weekly highlight show. I'm almost 40, and when I was a kid, I wanted to watch this week in baseball and inside NBA stuff on network television. It helped me become a fan of those sports. Thanks for all the work you get to and put into the show. I really appreciate it. Well, Kartik, there's a hot take. 1986 World Cup, which um, there was discussions i mean they, that could have gone yeah. to the united states i think it was uh was it Joe avalanche that decided um, yeah. not to take it to the united states and, and, and i think there's a political backstory on this one too and uh, it went to mexico and uh nsl died and it wasn't until well after the 1994 world cup um that um the, you mean a, a top flight national league major league soccer um emerged yeah, I think I think there's a strong case to be made that NASL would have survived had the '86 World Cup been here, and uh, uh, the, the league would have maybe gone through some different incarnations, but it would have uh, it would have survived and would have been uh, would have been probably very successful. The, uh, the thing I would caution, though, and I always caution this about people uh, saying that the NASL uh, would have been the top league in the world, or us uh, saying now if MLS took their controls off, it would be the top league in the world. It, I think that there's not enough analysis of how the Bosman decision, uh, the Bosman ruling changed football in Europe, club football in Europe, and essentially football around the world. And and I maybe we mentioned this on a previous show here, uh, but uh, I, I've uh, and in fact when I raised the issue on Twitter, there have been some prominent soccer journalists who've DM'd me and said, you know what, that's a really good point. Um, so I think the, the 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 formation of the European Union, the EEC transitioning to the EU, meant the top leagues were always going to be in Europe. Um, um, once there was free movement of players within the European, within the EU. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, I think NASL could have been the top league, uh, which MLS is not. It is not the top league outside Europe right now. Yeah, good point, Sekontek. You, you know what I would love? I would love uh, for ABC or CBS or whoever has the rights to some of these old classic NASL games is to show one of those games on television, show New York Cosmos against... Uh, you know the strikers or or the Tampa Bay Rowdies, you know, a Rowdies uh, Cosmos final, and show it on broadcast television or on, on on cable television, and uh, you mean to see what what the quality level was like and see some of these star players and uh, just to reminisce a little bit. That'll be a fun uh, uh, time warp there. Next up is Bill Reese. Bill Reese says regarding your comments last week on Grant Wall. Uh, it is worth noting for the record that Grant ha- had nearly every candidate for U.S. soccer president on his Planet Football podcast in the run-up to the USSF. 
uh, presidential election in 2018. Even the lesser known candidates such as Michael Winograd and Stephen Gans. The only candidate I don't believe that he interviewed was Hope Solo. Grant is certainly known to be deferential in his, uh, to his interview subjects from time to time, but those who do not really make it to the top of their field like Grant has. And Bill, yeah, definitely good comments. My comments about Grant Wall were really focused on uh, his role for Fox Sports. So uh, every week he had, um, sometimes twice a week, sometimes on, on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, he would have about 10 to 15 minutes um, on the UEFA Champions League pregame show where he'd do a deep dive into um, the latest soccer news. And, and it was almost always news about Major League Soccer or U.S. Soccer. Um, and I think he did some stuff in addition to that, too, uh, outside of the Champions League for Fox. And that was where, and again, too, this could be more Fox than it could be Grant Wall or could be the both of them together. But um that seemed to be very focused on when you were watching that it seemed to be very focused on the establishment on the establishment candidates and very little on some of the candidates such as Michael Winograd or Stephen Gans or Eric Winalda uh, or, or many others it seemed to be very focused on Kathy Carter on Sunil Galati on, on stories and narratives that were in favor of the establishment and, and continuing the establishment and again, that could be more Fox Sports than it could be Grant Wall. We don't know. But that was my uh, feedback on last week's podcast about Grant seemed to be part of the establishment, uh, getting paid by Fox and um, really kind of towing the party line and not being independent and not being somebody that was speaking his mind. It seemed to be that uh, either by choice or not by choice. He was uh, going along for the ride. And at that time, that was the time to be, to stand up and to really take note and say some things that were important to the future of U.S. soccer. To say, you mean, this is awful, the, the way that U.S. soccer has been run, the, the team not qualifying for the World Cup. Uh, here's an opportunity to change things. Here's an opportunity to go ahead and interview some candidates that had a different mindset, that had different ideas, that had a way of... of improving U.S. soccer that would have ramifications from the youth league all the way up to the, the professional leagues and the national team and the women's uh, team. It's only since uh, Grant has left Fox Sports has he seemed to have spoken up and start saying a lot of things that uh, we've been wanting him to say, which has been critical of the way that U.S. soccer has been run. But at the time, the most pivotal, t pivotal time, he did not for, for when he was on Fox Sports. All right, Kartik, uh, next up is RJ Hawkins. RJ says, great job keeping the show going through the global soccer shutdown. Belarus and Nicaragua accepted. It seems to be common knowledge that Major League Soccer teams have been directed to put off extending local TV rights packages past the 2022 season. With a new deal, do you think that the league will move to a more nationalized TV model with predefined TV broadcasting teams similar to Don Garber's one-time empl employer, the NFL? On one hand, it would definitely put announcers on, on site in every stadium, but it also allows the league to control image and narratives. And we've heard discussions. I, th I think, I think, Kartik, I think you've heard this too. That um, yeah. inside, uh, according to my, some of my sources, is that they're looking to have very much a. And this is before coronavirus. That they were looking to have a lot more control over the commentaries uh, and over the the talent that they had, and and over the 
um, the things that they were uh, they did they, they wanted to make sure the commentators weren't topic, talking about certain things that could be controversial. They wanted to control that a lot more. Um, now with coronavirus happening, I'm, I'm wondering, Kartik, if that goes out the window and they say, hey, you mean this is going to be an expense or something that maybe we can't control as much? It's going to cost too much. And maybe it goes back to the broadcasters, the national the national broadcasters, and having them pick up a lot of the uh, the expense in having you know, the, the the talent go, go to the different uh, games and stuff. What's, yeah, your, what's I, your things? Yeah, and local broadcasters too, because USL, by the way, the model that MLS, the rumored model, is the model USL has, and USL. Uh, Every uh, announcer is kind of derived from a central location. USL Productions is based in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, a lot of the, the, the announcers call matches off uh, monitors. Uh, at times they're at stadiums. At times they go in um, and, 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 and see the teams uh, in, in person during training, but then come back to Fort Lauderdale and call matches. Uh, but they have a centralized location, but they do assign someone to a team, right? And they follow a team. They call a team through the year. I think that that has allowed USL, who is very – I mean, I've said this over and over again, and I think people who are uh, just anti-MLS, they don't get it. Um, and they're just very – they're very – myopic about any you know they, they support anyone who's not mls right that usl is much more disciplined and scripted in how they present themselves than major league soccer is and uh, that go, that starts with the local broadcast that starts with uh the way local teams are allowed to present themselves uh to uh to their local audiences so i think garber has seen what usl has done and and also what happens in other sports as mentioned um and uh, wants to replicate it at the mls level and it allows them to really kind of tightly control messaging. The question is now with coronavirus, will they be able to do it? My guess is that they'll put it off further. I yeah. think this TV deal will happen. Local contracts will be extended and it may be a project that they worry about further down the line. Yeah, I agree too. It's uh, it's definitely an expense, but it is a way to control the message. Like for example, I've heard from sources that worked for uh, USL doing commentaries for them that they weren't allowed to mention the words NASL. They weren't allowed to mention that players, you know, maybe it was signed from an NASL club. They yeah, weren't yeah, allowed yeah, to mention any of that. Yeah, you can mention those clubs, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so it is a control message and um, tighten it up a little bit and, and be very positive, which at the, t- at the end of the day, the Kartik ends up being a little bit um, sterile. Uh, you mean almost unnatural, feels very just um, not propaganda, but just very, very sterile is probably the best word I, I can say. So A lot of those USL broadcasts feel like that. And, and again, there are people who make their entire uh, persona on Twitter or wherever just bashing MLS. MLS is, I mean, I have plenty of critiques of MLS. I think anyone who listens to the show knows MLS is not as scripted and as propaganda-ish as it could be. Just remember that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, check out some USL broadcast sometime, and then duh, duh, and, and try and tell me that the MLS broadcast, the MLS announcers, are are, are less critical uh, because they're not. Wow, it sounds like George Orwell, like uh, 1984 here, like, in terms yeah. of. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right. Next up is Paul Anthony Kelly. And, Paul, this is a great question. This is a topic we, we could probably spend an hour on. But uh, please give us your thoughts on the academy system collapsing. Um, I, I'm from the side of things in saying that uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think anyone really knows yet until the until the next season happens and the shakeout from all of that. So a lot of the clubs that used to be DA clubs, 
Um, not all of them are moving up to this MLS academy system. Uh, on the girls' side, there are no, uh, there's no DA at all, and there's no MLS academy system for the girls. So a lot of these girls' clubs will end up uh, either joining ECNL or joining you mean, their own. Uh, uh, I think there's supposed to be a talk about, um, I think, the DPL expanding. There's yeah. a lot of different ways this could go. Um, I think it's too early to really analyze this in a lot of detail until we know how this whole thing plays out. But I don't think ECNL has the administrative capacity right now to expand on the girls' side, which means DPNL is going to have to expand, uh, or uh, I don't know, or some new league, some new entity is going to have to pop up. Although there are people who tell me consistently, ECNL was maintaining a higher level of of kind of development, at least for the college game, than the DA was on the girls' side. Um, hmm. I don't know if that's true. Of but uh, you might know better than me, Chris. But there's there there are some people on on the girls' side who tell me, you know what? The only problem now is a situation of capacity at the ECNL because the yep. DA wasn't producing quite the player, the level of player, and it would even point to the national team and say, hey, more recent additions to the national team have been, uh, if you look back at their youth history, have been more have been skewed towards ECNL more than than DA academies, which I haven't taken the time to do that. So I, I just have to trust the, the reporters that have, but and, and the people in the game that have. But that's, uh, that to me is a, is a big question. On the boys' side, I, I, I don't know. The boys' side, I think it's... Um, I guess I'm more concerned about the girls' side because we're more competitive on the girls' side, and and I think that there's uh, been significant gains, and you even see this in, in women's uh, youth soccer by by the likes of Spain and the Netherlands. I mean, heck, the Netherlands got to the got to the final right of the of the, of the World Cup this time. So uh, that the U.S. might be caught if this is not done properly on the boys' side. On the men's side, I think player development has become such a mess in this country. I, I'm almost part of me just wants to go back to the model where we uh, where where we have got guys that fight like like heck you know the brian mcbrides of the world and the mm-hmm. max more world and go go to europe and compete right and and clint dempsey and and we seems like we were doing better then than than when we had a very structured uh regimented system for sure that's seem to take the creativity and the kind of fight and player dis- and the discipline out of a lot of the, our guys yeah it's uh i think it was bruce murray who used to play for the united states uh men's national team that made a similar comment to recently kartik saying that um you mean i when i when i was playing and there was no you mean no organized set- setup in terms of you mean da or any of this uh, stuff that we were still producing you know, really really good footballers from around the around the united states and now you look at the level of quality level and yes, there are some rising stars that are playing in Germany, but uh, we, we've gone through. I mean, there's there's definitely a, a, a drop in the the quality of the average American player. Now, I I, I don't there, there's this there's this kind of cognitive dissonance among U.S. fans that say, ah, oh, this is the golden generation. These guys are better. Look, I would still take a Tony Sane over any of these right. guys. Probably. Eddie Pope. Eddie Pope, right? I mean, I, I, I don't. They, I maybe they've never not paid attention to U.S. men's national team history and how some of our players developed. And I would take Greg Berhalter as a player over most of these guys. So mm-hmm. I, I think we've just slipped badly. And I, I'm now at the point, even though I've people who know who follow me know that I talk about it a lot player development. I'm thinking maybe just let let it go back to the way it was. And and we, somehow we were able to always find thirty or thirty five guys in it to be in a national team pool that were 
more competitive than the 30 or 35 guys we now have in our national team pool right. coming from a very regimented system. And, okay, uh, we have Pulisic. He is an exception to every rule going on now. So you take him out of the picture, and we are nowhere where uh, – if you, if you just eliminate him, we are nowhere near where we were uh, 10 or 15 years ago. That, that's the truth, in yeah. my opinion. If you go back to uh, Soccer Town USA, which is the uh, documentary about uh, Kearney, New Jersey, yeah. and the footballers that came out of that little town, and uh, which is available for free on YouTube, uh, you mean the Tony Mueller's of the world, the John Hawks of the world, uh, Tab Ramos. Um, I mean, they didn't go through uh, you mean development academy or um, you mean a pay to play system. They were just you know, playing for the local team. Right now, like Arcs, that's that's going to be trotted out in an FA Cup final. Do we have a uh, in the, on, at Wembley? Do we have a single guy? Yeah, at that and, level right. Now? And and the, and the difference is is that in this day and age, is that system has been monetized. I mean, that's that's the difference. It's not that uh, the level of competition has been improved, or the. I mean, if anything, it's it's such a mess. In you uh, I mean in regards to the way that youth soccer is set up, it's just a free for all in terms of just a money grab. That at the end of the day, the, the the level of quality is not as good. It's just it's monetized better. All right, Kartik. Last but not least, uh, Raymond Roscoe says my favorite football books are Why England Loses, Soconomics. And uh, if there's one thing that this pandemic has really pointed out about football and, and their owners is the profit margin of these teams and how they survive and razor thin profit margins. It would be really interesting to get um, Dr. Smansky's forecast how this might affect European soccer spending and any of these teams are going to make financial fair play for decades to come. And that's true, Raymond. Absolutely. You look at, I mean, Barcelona as one example, but uh, a lot of these clubs, I mean, it's been six weeks without football, which means six weeks without uh, you know, money coming in for from all levels of soccer. And you would imagine that most clubs would be able to survive that. Most clubs would be, would be able to uh, stay strong. And the reality is, is there's a lot of razor thin profit margins and, um, Clubs will be going out of business. We don't know. I mean, this talks about lower league uh, clubs going out of business, but um, there will be bigger ramifications in the next few months. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah, and Barcelona is a classic example. They've been living on the edge for however many years now, and uh, I, I don't think that they. Uh, um, I don't think that they're a prudently run business, and it's almost like they're untouchable in certain elements of the media. So you have to be careful about what you say about Barcelona in particular, that club in particular. But they're uh, they're not a well-run business. Uh, by the way, Dr. Szymanski is a Detroit City fan when it comes to uh, U.S. soccer. So uh, he's he's bought into kind of the the, the whole uh, aura around Detroit City and, and the supporter culture there, which is, which is kind of cool. They're more of an yeah, organic more club. Organic. That's, that's why he's into right. it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. It's been six weeks. Uh, hopefully two weeks from now, soccer will return with the Bundesliga, uh, knock on wood. Um, and actually, at the top of the hour, Kartik, where we talked about um, what we've been up to, I, I didn't get a chance to mention that um, what I've been doing on the, on the um, while we have had all this extra free time is I've worked on uh, updating the YouTube channel. So if you go to youtube.com slash World Soccer Talk, it has uh, an archive of all the best episodes of not only the World Soccer Talk podcast. So every episode is released on there, too. 
but we also have uh, soccer documentaries uh, going back from the one that you did, Kartik, with with Josh on uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Uh, we have, for the first time ever, it's been released uh, today, actually, uh, the documentary that uh, Lawrence McKenna did for World Soccer Talk, which was on Opta Sports, where he went um, behind the scenes into the offices of Opta in London and uh, filmed how they put together all of the stats for the Premier League. Wow. And like Opta Joe, I mean, that, that whole nerve center, and also did some interviews with some of the, the top folks at Opta. This was back in the time when Opta first launched, so it's a little bit dated. Uh, and we added some interviews to that uh, Lawrence did with uh, Patrick Barkley. Actually, there's a a classic uh, piece of footage here, Kartik, and I think it's going to be released, I think it's this weekend, or it's going to be pretty soon. Every day we're releasing new content on the YouTube channel. It has video of you at the studios of Gold TV in 2006? No, 2010? Something like that, yeah. And it's it's you uh, in in uh, right before uh, Ray Hudson and Phil Shane uh, go ahead and commentate a La Liga game, and you're standing in the corridor saying, "Okay, on this side of the corridor, we've got uh, Ray Hudson and Phil Shane doing the commentary of La Liga. On the other side of the the the, the, the corridor, we've got the the Spanish guys doing Goal TV commentary in, in Spanish for La Liga, and uh, the footage isn't the greatest quality from back in the day." But it's and, and actually we get to step inside the booth to listen to Ray and Phil uh, commentate a La Liga game. And the craziest thing is the size of the TV monitor, the, the TV screen that they're looking at. It's got to be like a, I don't know, like a maybe like a 15 inch or 19 inch screen that they're like just trying to watch and do, do live play by play. Uh, anyway, that's going to be on YouTube.com slash World Soccer Talk, if not this weekend, uh, in the next coming days. All right, Kartik, thank you for listening. And you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday on every podcast player, including youtube.com and worldsoccertalk.com. If if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into another week, um, what are you going to do for this next week? Anything you're looking forward to? And then uh, what should the listeners do? I'm looking forward to trying to get through more of Goldblatt's book, among other things. I mean, it's, it's, it's a chore, but it's well worth it. So for all of you out there, enjoy your football.